And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. These freaks are dedicated, hard-working people. I'm Batman. Whosoever holds this hammer, if he be worthy, shall possess the power of thought. This looks like a job for Superman. Captain America! It's the Dying Man! It's the Rocketeer! Gentlemen, you're up. <laughs> Hello! And welcome to Comics Monthly Monday, number 51. I am Bill Robinson, and this month I am joined by Scott Gardner. Hello. Chris Honeywell. Hey. And Paul Spataro. Hello there. (laughs) And tonight we're going to be kicking off uh, our usual business, and then we're going to go into a little bit of Iron Man review and some Freaky Fives, and uh, our usual get Chris to read a funny book. <laughs> it's the PG version. <laughs> With the G. Oh, don't worry. When we get to the funny book, we'll 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 work that PG into a PG thirteen. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm I'm so used to the clean back to the bins. So. <laughs> I forgot I could cut loose here. You can get your hands a little dirty here, <laughs> a little dirtier. So, anybody got any uh, any comic news? Uh, I believe Paul and I had talked on Back to the Bins, but this will probably come out before our Back to the Bins about Free Comic Book Day. Did you guys c- come away with some good haul at uh, Free Comic Book Day? I didn't go. I was garage sailing. <laughs> I didn't go uh, either. You didn't go to Free Comic Book Day? I did not. No, it was... But it had uh, the words free attached to it, no, too. It was, oh, it, you were doing May the 4th Be With You. It was May the 4th Be With You, so I went to uh, Hollywood Studios. Well, I, I actually went to work is what I did, but I, I went to the studios for a little while before work, and then uh, my manager at, at the position I was working that night was really awesome. Let me go a little bit early from work so that I could make it over there in time to uh, what they were doing um was uh, a special fireworks show that night it was a star wars themed fireworks show which is as awesome as it sounds like it would be and uh it was incredible i videoed it it's up on uh, facebook but i also uh audio recorded it with my uh, swanky new audio recorder digital recorder so uh, i will be releasing that at some point it'll probably be part of next uh, star wars monthly monday i would imagine so um, and I guess for that. free comic book day information, people will have to listen to Back to the Bins to hear uh, about our uh, adventures. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of in, lot of uh, info on there. Uh, Paul has got some info on. A, you you want to plug your con? Well, not your con, but the con you're going through that's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. On June fifteenth, I'm going to Eternal Con 
which is taking place at the Cradle of Aviation, which is about, people who don't know, it's about, say, half a block from the Nassau Coliseum. And that makes it about 10 minutes from my house, which is just really, really cool. Uh, they're going to have a bunch of stuff. They're going to have, they have something, let's see, they have a thing called Meet the Troops, where they're going to have the Ghostbusters, they're going to have some Stormtroopers. They are going to have Billy Tucci there. They're going to have Jim Shooter there, uh, Larry Hama, Sean Chen, and something I've never seen at any convention to this point, uh, they're going to have the largest Planet of the Apes original prop collection in the world, which should be really, really cool to check out. Ooh, I would be so into that. Well, I'll be bringing a camera. I'll be taking a bunch of pictures, and I will be putting them on the... uh, the Facebook page, uh, and then I guess next month we'll talk about it and I'll give you a rundown of everything that went on. But uh, I'm really looking forward to it, and the fact that it's local, I'm hoping it's a huge success because it's a lot easier than going into Manhattan for New York Comic Con, which I intend to do too, but it's nice to have this as a secondary one that's local and easy. So I know I put something on the webpage already about it, and uh, Dario Gonzalez uh Saw it and immediately put up, wow, that's so close, I'm going there. Haven't heard anything from Jose Rivera yet and other people who live close by, but hopefully a bunch of people are going and it'll be pretty cool. And that's my plug for that. Well, Scott, you missed out on some deals at uh, Free Comic Book Day. I know I invited you, but, and I know you're working and May the 4th was going on, but uh, one thing right up uh, that I was able to pick up for just the day before Free Comic Book Day uh, Yancey Street Comics, the store I go to in the Gulfview Square Mall in Port Ritchie, Florida. Um, <laughs> they had um, 75% off graphic novels, and they had the John Byrne Omnibus. $125, oh. 75% off. So I got it uh, for like $35. <laughs> yeah. See, I had, I, I'm not really into reprints, and I'd heard of those, but didn't really have any interest in them until I saw them in one of the glass display cases at, uh, I'm not even sure what the name of it is, but there's it's one of those merchandise shops over at uh, Universal Studios. I was like, oh my god, this is gorgeous, because it's, it, it's just like a phone book sized. Oh, it's huge. You know, it's just this beautiful john byrne thing i was like oh man i would love to have that but then i saw the price sticker on it and i was like ah, oh no. well yeah that's what turned me off at first but um then he posted on facebook oh we're having 75 percent off i'm like you know what i swear he had a stack of those things up there and when i got there there was one left and i'm like mine 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 down 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 go 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 mine 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 <laughs> and then and then for free comic book day i was able to pick up the last two walking dead um book of the deads uh seven and eight so now I've I've got all my Walking Dead's now back back up to like issue ninety six uh, in back in another form because I gave uh, Chris all my trades. So now I gotta wait for the next one. Now we caught up again. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, does anybody else have any other comic news, or we're gonna move on to the Iron Man review? Uh. All right. Well. We do have email. We have one email, but it's an awesome one. It's from our good friend Andrew Leyland of Hey Kids Comics. 
And uh, he writes in about last month's Comics Monthly Monday. He said, uh, he says, first of all, a big old thank you for the shout out at the beginning of the week's show. He says, uh, you wondered how we found time to do Happy Birthday Superman. Easy. I started writing it in November, he says. And uh, thanks for the invite to join your happy band. We're trying not to lower the tone. <laughs> anyway, this week's Comics Monthly Monday was one of the best you've done. The comics, the yeah, the comics, the topics rather, were all exceptionally well done, from the political discussion at the beginning to the wonderful but not at all maudlin tributes to Carmine Infantino. One of my abiding memories of Infantino was the ass he drew on Spider Woman. <laughs> The arse. Arse. Yes, that's how he words it. Arse. He says the lovely round firm behind he drew on her made her uh, or made me rather look at that comic for ages. How many spelling errors were in that last sentence? (laughs) (laughs) It's actually uh, he did much the same thing on Princess Leia in Star Wars, which is, I think, uh, largely what kept us reading that title a a lot of times. Yes. Oh, my God. (laughs) So there was a brief discussion of about Marvel now. Uh, there haven't been any real retconning or removing of continuity here, uh, which is why I prefer it to the new 52. It feels more organic. The writers apparently all pitched their ideas for long-term stories. There were no revolving door of creator types that seems uh, to have flagged a lot of uh, new 52 books, uh, and mostly it's been a success. Mostly. Anyway, an exceptionally good episode. Keep it up. And until you change one of the features to get Scott to read a goddamn Vertigo comic, make mine comics monthly Monday. Best Andrew Leyland. And uh, now, is this the point? Since Andy's reminding me, is this the point where I'm supposed to say something politically annoying, so that we can get into some real heated debate over it? Absolutely no. not. <laughs> you mean you don't want me to? You don't want to make that a regular feature on the show? No, yeah. no. And then, if that starts, then we're going to have to have Chris's conspiracy theory corner. And then we're gonna have to have get off my lawn with Scott Gardner, and I don't Your know which Doctor Bill Robinson. Yeah, and then we Dr. already got Bill Robinson <laughs> to Real sort quick. everybody out after the other three. <laughs> Real quick, before we get into anything else, I just want to say uh, a quick thank you and shout out to my buddy Chris Honeywell, who sent me something absolutely awesome in the mail that he picked up at a yard sale. Uh, was my understanding. Oh yeah. And I can only I can only tease this and and you'll understand why in a moment. But you guys remember back uh, when we were kids, they used to have those storybooks and it was like there was a Star Wars storybook and like a Return of the Jedi storybook. I remember there was a Tron one, Star Trek 3. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah. And it was it was I, it was I like do. For kids. <laughs> and I they still were, have my Star Wars one, yeah. Yeah. And they were made up of all these great shots from the movie, all these great stills from the movie and stuff. But it was it was basically telling the the movie for kids. But it was in a large, like hardcover, uh, slightly oversized format. The best thing about them was they put a lot of pictures in it, so they had to get pictures from the movies that you wouldn't see anywhere else. So there were a lot exactly. of unusual pictures in all of them. Yeah. Well, I got one from Chris recently that he sent to me again that he uh, he picked up on one of his uh, yard sale uh, sojourns, and I'm not going to spoil right now what it is. Only to say this is going to be an upcoming 
commentary monthly Monday that we had planned a while ago. I didn't know if you remembered this, Chris, when uh, you I know we talked about it. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. So I'm going to leave everybody in suspense until uh, that comes up. But actually, I think that's not this month's, but it will be the next month's, I believe. What are we doing this month again? Uh, something related to a guy with a S on his chest. That's right. That's I, right. I, I thought you guys were doing fried green tomatoes this month. <laughs> I've never even seen that movie. Really? Because it seems so macho. <laughs> it's right uh, up your alley, man. It's right in your still, wheelhouse. My still understanding Magnolias. is they do not blow up enough shit in that movie, so that's why I've never seen it. So. Uh, yeah, well, they... I, I thought it was the, the Sisters of the Traveling Pants or something like that. or. <laughs> That, isn't that a or is that the porn that I just watched? <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> the Brothers of the Borrowing Boxer Shorts, maybe, or something? Yeah, that's, I'm skipping that one. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but that's all I got. Let's all swear that we'll never have a Brotherhood of Borrowed Boxers and Two True Freaks. <laughs> Hair Metal Hero, I'm looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, sorry to kill that conversation oh, right man. off. Hey, did you guys see Iron Man 3? How was that for that awkward segue? <laughs> from boxers no, it was smooth, to Iron smooth, Man. Smooth, man. I, I didn't even notice you did it. Speaking of boxers, did you see that guy with the metal underwear? Ooh. Why no? Oh, you are yeah. a fast so, transition. So, so let's let's just jump into this. What do you guys think overall, just before we get into specifics? Well, like I said on Back to the Bins, ooh, can I say that word here, Paul? Well, like, I couldn't say over there. F, yeah. <laughs> I, I just said F. I didn't do the whole word. I enjoyed ooh. that. I enjoyed the hell out of it. I don't think it was perfect, but uh, the imperfections were minor to me i i enjoyed i i'm a bit i'm a big fan of all three i think they closed out the three of them without ruining it and making it was fun all the way through i liked a lot of the things that people didn't like <laughs> that the people are I, that people complain about i took my son to see this because i think the last movie we went to see was a re-release of the phantom menace well, the kid in this one's right about I, the kid's age, so that must have been awesome. Exactly, and this is really weird because I guess he just discovered that song that's at the beginning of the Iron Man movie. In no way did he know about that, you know, the Mr. Blue song, the ba ba dee da 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 you know, the one that's right in the... Oh, he had been playing that constantly in his room for the past days leading up to it. It was driving me nuts. I'm like, can you, can you play something else, please? Anything? <laughs> <laughs> and then you go to the movies, over. and there it is. <laughs> the movie starts. Da da dee da da da. Like, I look at him, and he looks at me, and, he's, and his mouth is wide. He's like, "I didn't know, honest." <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, kid. You're driving me crazy. <laughs> but oh yeah, I mean, he he was all through the movie. He just kept turning to me, you know, wide eyed. He's like, "Wow, did you see that?" I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. So and and I really. Now I'm jumping to the end of the movie. I thought the end credits were just, just it was like a Bond film. It was like a, a '70s TV show, an action movie. I, just I'm speechless. Which is the actual credits yourself you're talking about, not the post. Yeah, yeah, 
No, no, sequence. no, not the post-credit scene. No, but that, oh, I did. Right I did like the, end, the, the pictures that they put during the credits. I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was. It was like you know, it, it was like a '70s action film. It was overall, fun to watch. Overall, yeah. when I walked away, I think I let my expectations get too high for the movie because, as I said on Facebook, my first impression disappointed. It was not what I expected it to be. It did not live up to the high expectations that I set for it. I See, did I like it. I don't think it was a bad movie. Don't get me wrong, but it did right. not live up to my expectations. I went in with no expectations. I just wanted to have fun with my son, and that's what I had. And along the way, I saw a movie that entertained me that I walked out of, and I didn't feel like I got ripped off. Although, I don't think I would again pay for the for the 3D. I don't think this was filmed in 3D. I think it was a conversion because it wasn't. Well, I heard, I heard the 3D was terrible. I saw it in 2D. Yeah, I, I saw uh, the 3D, 3D and was. I thought it didn't get in the way, but it didn't add anything to it. It was right. I could have saved myself like six bucks. Yeah, you know, I went with people who always want to see it in 3D, so I was sort of stuck on that. So I would have gone to see it in 2D and been perfectly happy with it. I think just saw the 3D because of the time that it was on, and and it just meshed with our schedule. So I'm like, yeah, I'll do the action with us too. Yeah. The only thing 3D adds for me is a headache. This, <laughs> this, one, this one didn't have a lot of that in it. Like usually, I didn't get a headache. I get a little annoyed about three quarters of the way through, and I'm peeking out from under them and stuff. And this, I didn't even really notice it after the first ten minutes. I also don't like when you watch, the, especially the upconverted ones. This the screen always looks a little darker. Yeah, it, it takes some away, mm-hmm. some of the brightness away from it, and I, and I don't like that because that's not the way it's filmed. That's not the way it's supposed to look, especially on the big screen where they're charging you top dollar to see it you see i i think i went in with the not with low expectations but like ignorance is bliss i didn't know anything about the extremist storyline i didn't know anything about you know the mandarin so you know that's one of the criticisms i have of the movie and i know a lot of the criticisms of the nolan dark knight movies are that he spells everything out too much in this movie, I thought there were a couple of things that if you didn't know about it going in, you weren't going to know about it walking out either, because they never really explained what Extremis was all about. Yeah, they just well, sort of left it as a... They left it as, like, the people who know what it is know more about it, and they just gave enough information to make you know that it made people super strong. It made them nasty, burn, and it, and, and it would give and, that little girl her leg back. That's what you know. Yeah, and, well, and you just... Extremis- you, the extremist armor in the comic, from what I remember, and maybe, well, you know, we haven't heard anything from Scott yet, but the extremist armor is one that Tony can actually secrete from his body, if, if I'm mm-hmm. remembering properly. Yes. So, I mean, it was a, actually a little bit different. But it would have been nice that, if I mean, they actually explained that to you, I think. You know who we need to get on again, Scott? Luke. Dave Michelinie. Uh, oh, that would be good. He, Yeah, he was I w- thanked I would in, like in the credits. That. Yeah, I would like to do that depending on how he would feel about that because I know that Bob Layton... Um, He's not happy, yeah. Yeah, it broke my heart, his post. that He, he had a that. post on Facebook that essentially said, please stop asking me about Iron Man 3. He goes, I'm not seeing a penny. And I forget exactly mm-hmm. how it was worded, but it was basically like... It's, you know, it sounded it, bitter at first, and then people were like, blah, blah, screw them. And he's like, well, no, I signed the, right. you know, I knew when I was signing it, it just, I just don't want to see, you know, he was just like, I just, yeah, it's, 
it, it sucks, but he knew, having, you know. Having met the man, I, I, I think I had a little bit of a little bit of an edge on reading that post where I didn't take it so much as being bitter as that it was just kind of sad. It was yeah, kind of no, like, he, he wasn't you know, bitter just at all. Please stop asking me, you know, and, uh, and uh, it, it did. It kind of made me sad about the whole thing. But, uh, but yeah, like I would love with, to uh, pick both their brains about Iron Man for that matter, whether it was the movies or not, you know. It kind of sounds like the interview you did with Chris Claremont when he talked about the X-Men movies and how he's not getting anything <laughs> for that. Now that dude was bitter. <laughs> there was no mistaking that. Um, for me, uh, I, I went to see it. Uh, it was on May the fourth. You know, it was it was at the end of that day, so we went to the midnight showing. And uh, I have to say, I think I'm going to stop going to midnight showings because I'm wondering if the late night and the very long day that I'd had that day, despite my supreme anticipation of that movie I, I can't help but feel that maybe it adversely affected the experience a little bit because I too walked away initially not so much disappointed as initially walking away and I couldn't quite get my head around it I couldn't quite decide did I really like that or not you know so it was weird so that was on a Saturday night well then I was off the following Monday and Tuesday and uh now I'm going to I'm going to out myself here. My, my wife and kids don't know this. I snuck back to the movies and saw it on a matinee on Tuesday, um, you know, because we have the, the cheap matinees here at our, our local theater on Tuesday. So I went back and watched it on, a, on an afternoon matinee again, just so I could get a better feel, you know, for. All right. What what how do I really feel about this movie? And I enjoyed it much more the second time around. It was just a, a much more, you know, relaxing experience and that sort of thing. Um, so the long and short of it for me, um, I didn't like it as much as Iron Man 2. Now, I know that Iron Man 2 takes a bad rap from a lot of other people, you know. So as they say, your mileage may vary. But for me, Iron Man 2 is by far my favorite of the of the trilogy of Iron Man movies. It just speaks to me on a personal level. You know, I'm a huge Iron Man fan. I'm a huge Walt Disney fan. You marry the two of them up. It was really hard to beat that movie going in. But did I like Iron Man 3? Yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought it was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, the big pluses for me was uh, the score by Brian Tyler is phenomenal. I've been listening to it nonstop since I picked it up. It's just great. Really, really fantastic score. Um, and I love all the armors that are in it. I mean, when all those armors come in near the end of the movie, uh, I just loved it. Just trying to pick up, you know, which ones were nods to the ones that we've seen in the comics. And, and there were a lot of them in there that were nods to armors we have seen over the years of, of Iron Man comics. Some of them you've only get just a, a couple of seconds glimpse of, but it was really neat to see particular ones, especially like the one that had the big tubes coming out of the back of it that I think he wore in like Heroes what was that Heroes Reborn or Heroes whatever. Reborn. Yeah. And, and then uh, what about what about the Hulkbuster Hulk, almost? Hulkbuster, yeah. yeah, it was it it's was phenomenal. So I really liked that. Um minuses um disappointed is the best way to sum it up when it comes to the post credit sequence because that post credit sequence, yeah, it was amusing and everything, but really that's it. And I swear to God, I'm not making this up. When I saw that, um, for the when I saw the movie the, for the first time that evening, when that post-credit sequence was over, 
I saw this in a packed house. It was at uh, at the downtown Disney theater. Packed house. Every single person in that theater said exactly the same thing at the same time. That was it. So I, I think that sums it up very well. Everybody was just. That's what I said too. Yeah. Yeah. I and I, I had that. That was the one that I had heard about that I had mentioned to you guys, but I was going to keep it quiet. But yeah, that was the one that I had heard about, and and I thought I stayed for it, even though I thought it was going to be disappointing. I mean, it was funny. I got a little chuckle, but really, you're like, really? That's that's. That, I think that desperately called for two post-credit sequences. Yes. Like they did in the Avengers. Mm. Yes. That should have been and like the mid-credit sequence. I thought it was kind of saying something. <laughs> I thought the simplicity of it was saying we're sort of closing off these three Iron Man movies. You know, we're not leading into anything else. There's going to be no Nick Fury. We're just going to give you, you know, you you want something. Something's got to come out of it. So they gave us something like that. You know, it was basically just a chance to have the interplay between Banner and Stark, you know, that was really good in Avengers. So it was sort of a nod backwards to Avengers. Yeah, that I was liked cool. It. Like I said, I, I thought it was good to have it, but I thought you needed something more. I told you guys the other night what I my, what I would have done. See, I really liked the Mandarin reveal. I thought it was hysterical. I thought it was mm -hmm. great. Uh, I did kind of see it coming a little bit. I, did, I can't tell you I saw exactly what was coming, but I did think that the Mandarin was going to end up being a puppet of uh, Guy Pearce. There's a puppet theme through all three movies, so mm -hmm. somebody was a puppet of somebody. I knew that, but I couldn't. I didn't figure out that scene till it happened. Well, I, like I said, I thought he was going to be a puppet, but I thought he was also going to be thinking, you know, like I thought he was really going to be a terrorist. Who a was bad just guy, yeah. Uh, but what I would have done in there is I would have just had Pierce at some point just give a throwaway line about how he created the Ben Kingsley Mandarin based on the old legends about the Mandarin and all, you know, the mystical being that, you know, we all know he doesn't really exist. And then I would have had a post-credit sequence that would have just showed oh, you he really does good. exist. And this way, would it would have left great. an opening. It would have left an opening that they could have, if they ever decided to make another movie, they could have actually had the Mandarin as a villain. Or even if you never did, it still kind of kept the mythology of the character together the way it should be. I think that would have been. I think that's a, a would have been a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I could have had I Finn, that. Finn Fang Foom in his purple pants. Well, you know, that's one of the things I heard was kind of an Easter egg was the fact that when uh, at the end when he's totally extremising out and you see the dragon tattoo on him, that that's kind of supposed to be a nod to Fin Fang Foom. I wondered about that because I was trying to get a really good look at it because um, I think that's the first time you really see it is in that scene where basically all of his clothes are burned off. And that's when I realized that he had a dragon on his chest. And I was trying to see, is that supposed to be Fin Fang Foom? But I never really got a good look at it. So that's funny that you say that. That's that's actually pretty clever. Well, plus I didn't get a good enough look too, to say it? it was him, but that's what I heard. Uh, another, There weren't too many Easter eggs, but another one that I heard that was kind of cool. Do you remember when uh, when he's talking to the wife of the soldier? or the, I don't know if it's the wife or the mother of the soldier that mother. supposedly killed himself. And the woman comes over, and she's an extremist agent, and she's yeah, like going to was... arrest him, and then she freaks out. That was Ellen Brandt. That was Ted Salas's wife. That was Ted Salas's wife, and she's an AIM agent who betrays him, which ultimately causes him to become Man-Thing. That's kind of a cool Easter egg. Huh. I missed that altogether. 
Well, so did I. I found out about that afterwards. I can't. I can't say I knew that little bit of uh, history there. Yeah, one I, of the other the his like main agent Savin. He's also a throwback to a character from the '90s. I think called Cold Blood, if I remember correctly. Yes, I. I that's what I. I heard that also, but I. I'm not familiar with the character. Yeah, he's like uh, back in like the '90s Iron Man. I don't. I don't. I don't recall him off the top of my head, but yeah, I, I had heard mention of that also. Couple of things that I really liked with it. I liked the beginning, showing how Tony's past irresponsible behavior came back to haunt him later in life. I thought that was kind of a cool thing. Uh, I liked the fact that Rhodey was a badass when when he yeah. didn't have his armor and he had to you know act you know that he you know he showed his military training. He, he could pull he could pull an Iron Man movie. I think it was that said that to me. I was like. I really, you know, I think Robert Downey Jr. is sort of the Christopher Reeve of Iron Man. I think he really loves playing Iron Man and get has his role and loves playing it and stuff like that. But if he didn't do another Iron Man movie, they could pop Rhodey in there and probably make aw- a really good movie. That was awesome when he leaped out of the armor when they were trying to smoke him out of it or heat him up. Yeah, yeah. And he just and he jumped right out of the armor. Yes. Uh. One of the things that, that I heard a complaint about, but I disagree with, again, goes to the over-expository nature of things. People were complaining that they didn't give more explanation about the vice president and his betrayal. I thought they gave you exactly what you needed to understand exactly what was All going on All you had to d- understand was that the vice president was in on it, and they. I thought they communicated that perfectly, you know? Yeah. yeah Actually, I thought they, that was fine. I geeked Actually, out so hard when I realized that that was Miguel Ferrer. I was like, holy shit, it's Miguel Ferrer. And everybody's like, who the hell's Miguel Ferrer? But I was yeah, geeking it, out, man. Yeah, but as soon as you saw him, you went, oh, yeah, he's a bad guy. Oh, yeah, <laughs> because he's always a because bad guy. Because he, <laughs> he always gets set up as a jerk. You know, he's, and he's, like, usually, he's usually the bad guy in hiding. You right. Know, you don't yes. know he's a bad guy until he reveals it, but he always reveals it eventually. But, I mean, come on, not only has he been some great bad guys, I mean, he was the freaking weather wizard on uh, on Superman, the animated series. And I, what what character was he in uh, in the Justice League, that failed Justice League pilot? Wasn't he the weather wizard in that, too? Uh, I think you're I right. Yeah, yeah. He but was, he was, was in that. RoboCop. But RoboCop was the thing that really hit me. It was <laughs> like, oh, he's the guy that made friggin' RoboCop. Yes. Now he's in Iron Man. That's awesome. It was that and... Uh, and William Sadler, who I haven't seen in anything in forever, which I oh. thought was absolutely awesome, except uh, I really, I went the whole movie hoping that somebody would Melvin him, and it never happened. So I was a little bit Melvin. You know what's awesome also is my theater gave up. My theater wasn't very, it was a midnight show, and it was fairly empty, but everybody cheered when Stan Lee showed up. Everybody was, was just like, hey. Though. Huh? That, that was, was a one quick one. He was... Yeah, he was almost, yeah. I mean, you blink and you miss him. Yeah. yeah, he was just a face on a TV screen, but everybody caught it and were and were appreciative of that, which is always nice. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked the Tony Stark, like, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. kind of character that they gave you, you know, when he was acting without the armor and kind of breaking in and well, you know, that's just using, a lot of using his MacGyver like, abilities. Yeah, a lot of people were like, that was one of the big complaints was that he didn't spend enough time in the armor. But I liked that. I, I thought that was one of the main points of the movie was, you know, the first, I, the first movie was I am Iron Man. And that meant he, when he said that, he meant I am, you know, the superhero Iron Man. And in this one, he figured out that 
you know, Tony, Tony Stark, Stark is, is, Iron, is Man. Iron Man. Yeah, Tony, and whether he's in the suit or not, he's still he's still Iron Man. You know, and I and, like that sequence from a pure guilty pleasure. You know, here's Robert Downey Jr. doing his you know Macaulay Culkin Home Alone shtick part <laughs> of the movie that was kind of a comedic little thing. But from a logical standpoint, within the logical framework of the movie, it's such bullshit. Here's this guy who's suffering severe anxiety attacks and post-traumatic stress disorder, and he's running around being James Bond without his armor, which is his main gimmick. Uh, and it was a little, it was a little stupid. Here's, I here's, a th- here's but the it thing was about fun. the the post-traumatic shock syndrome storyline is. The thing about post post traumatic and like depression or anything that you know he was had it was a, it was basically he was traumatized and let down from saving the world and Avengers and where do you go next? But I did I I wasn't ex, I, in a bad movie I think or not in a bad movie but in a more predictable movie they would have had him freak out at a at a critical time. But I the, didn't think the post-traumatic stress rang true to me. Well, the thing about right. it was it yeah. only hit him. It only hit him when there was, you know, a quiet moment or some, nothing going on. So when the action was it, going, there's no worries about him even having a thought of, like, what am I doing? And then going into that fugue that he would go into. Well, when, he, when he went into it, it seemed a little over the top to me. It, didn't, yes. it seemed like it should have be Have you ever seen up. anybody have a panic attack before? Yes, I actually, it's it's yeah. a really weird it's a really weird thing sometimes you know that it, it, it usually seems more self-contained than that. It's it not on the something person. where they you know where they start. They don't you know they, I, when I've seen it they don't generally like fall into a corner and start rolling into the fetal position. Right. They just start you know they start sweating a little bit and looking around and getting right. you know getting nervous over in a situation where you wouldn't think they would be nervous. Right. But they're, it's they're not as dramatic over... as they portrayed it. So. Right. I don't but know. He was having it over saving the universe and being. Right. He was shot into another dimension and. Yeah. Also, he's a super. He's never, you know, he's never really had too much of a failing of confidence you know he's a very confident type a personality so to him he's never you know most other people have had moments of depression or moments where they're freaking out or stuff it was completely new and foreign to him and it was and probably freaked him out double i I thought it was a little over dramatic too but I don't know if this is where you were headed paul but uh i'm just curious what the group thinks because the first time I watched the movie, I th- I really came away with this impression. Watching it the second time, I was a little like, well, maybe I was being a little too hard on it. But I'm really curious what you guys think. Did you think the acting was a little bit off in this one? Yes, I just, that's one of my notes here. Yeah. I, I, th- I thought, to, to some extent, I thought Downey mailed it in a little bit. I don't think he was yeah. as charismatic as he usually is. I, I mean, he wasn't bad. I didn't think the chemistry between him and uh, and Pepper, were, or you know, uh, what's her name, Gwyneth Paltrow, was quite on. I mean, because in Avengers and the little bit that they're together in Avengers, I totally was buying their relationship. In this one, not so much. Frankly, uh, I don't yeah, get America's love affair with Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't think she's that hot. No, uh, that chick don't... needs a sandwich like big time, man. <laughs> she's she's too scrawny. <laughs> She really doesn't do it for me. She's she's, but she's not. I don't think she's supposed to be super sexy. I think she's. Supposed well, then why to be... why did People Magazine have her as the the most beautiful woman in the world? This because month? it's a piece what? of crap rag. Oh yeah, 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 they did. <laughs> 
because it's a like scroll magazine. <laughs> but you know, in this movie, she's supposed to be more of sort of like you know, she's a she's a super savvy businesswoman, but she's sort of got that girl next door. She's not supposed to be a bombshell. I totally believe it. I think that they they were a little stilted together. You know, it did seem kind of forced. And and Guy Pierce at first was a little. I mean, playing the the uber geek character in 1999, and then he's he was better as Mister Suave after he gets his uh, extremist makeover. Well, I think the, that was the one thing that I sort of took issue with was I liked the fact that it was um, Stark's past. You know, saying. Yeah, you're not done with all, you know, you're not done dealing with all the, you, you saved the world, but you're still going to get, you know, some blowback from people who you've treated like shit over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but I also don't like the portrayal of the nerd as being like this person that, okay, so he got, you know, if you meet a celebrity or a big time guy and sort of corner him and say, Hey, I got a business deal for you. And they blow you off. That's that doesn't seem too rad. Like too, it's rude, but it's not like, Oh, he was thinking about killing himself. And it's sort of saying, look at these nerds. If they, if they feel rejected, they'll, they turn into supervillains and destroy the world. It's uh, the Incredibles. What's his name? Uh, right, right, right. There's Incredible a whole trope or whatever his name was. Through that, Sit, but, just like, what did yeah. he try and call himself when he was trying to be his sidekick? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Portraying all nerds as potential yeah. world-dominating villains. Like Incredible Ad or something like that. I can't yeah. remember, yeah. Now, yeah. one of the things, like a nitpick on the movie is, uh, remember when they attacked his house and he had the armor go on Pepper? Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Remember the scene at the end where he has the armor go on Guy Pierce? Yeah. Right. Fighting. Why is it when he had 40 armors flying around and Rhodey asked for one, he said no? Because, all right, I heard this explained in another podcast, so I'll try to best to do it here. The way they, they explained it, and I kind of accepted it with my geekness, was that that was a brand new suit. When he first started it, it didn't even have uh, flight capability and full weapons. That's why he had to chuck the piano at the helicopter. So the other ones were already coded to him, and that suit may not have been fully finished and therefore not fully coded to only him. Okay, then why was he able to get it to go on Guy Pierce? But that's because it wasn't, it wasn't coded to anybody at that point. He could put it on anybody. But Rhodey couldn't have any of them. There wasn't one that Rhodey could use. He couldn't have the 42. Sorry, you're on your own, dude. Because I other... want you to be badass and fight without armor. See, I thought it was just him pulling like a like a you know dick maneuver between friends. You know what I mean, like a like a seems friendly a jab little, type yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah. It seems a little extreme in that circumstance, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it? It, it, with Pepper's life at stake, you'd think he wouldn't be sort of. Hey, man, the plot required it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's my point. There was a little bit of that at the end going on for sure. Oh yeah, you know, like, like that. The, the all the armors showed up. It was great when all the armors showed up. But they just sort of showed up at the most convenient time. They could have showed up at some other times and really uh, helped a lot. Yeah, I, I thought I thought the special effects at the end with all of that were phenomenal. I thought the CGI really blended with the real very yeah. well. But I also thought it was just a little too frenetic, a little hard to follow what was going on. And the armors seemed to be exactly where they needed to be, just like con for convenience sake, so they could be diving from one to the other. It, it just... 
that's that's a very but that's a sort of becoming the pattern of the iron man movies is i personally for me like the low like the part the part like the big battles at the end of iron man movies i thought this one was the best big battle at the end of iron man it had the most the the big battle at the end of iron man 2 is kind of anticlimactic well in, in iron man 2 to me the the biggest thing about that movie, the one scene I can watch anytime, is that Monaco Raceway scene. Yes. I just love that scene. I mean, there's so many things about that where it, the writing, you know, it doesn't necessarily hold up, but the special effects and just the pacing of the scene and everything are just so it. wonderful but that amen. I can watch that anytime. I, I kind of like, I'm not, the, I'm not at the Iron Man movie for the big battle at the end. I'm I'm really there to see Robert Downey Jr. as... as as Iron Man because he sells it and he he loves it. So uh, the the special effects are just sort of like icing on the cake for me and then the big battles at the end always turn into just sort of a big battle. You know, they they turn into a fight and they sort of lose that that um to the not total realism, but you know, sort of they have points in it. They had that the, I I like the scene where you know, they built it up to where, okay, he's going to get his armor on and kick ass, and it just sort of collapses behind him, and he goes, whatever, and continues I'll tell on you there. How I really would have liked to have seen this end is the one scene I really don't like, uh, I'll be honest, is when he suddenly orders all of his suits to self destruct just so he can get that little fireworks scene. I yeah, think the I, moment I, that scene like is that over. He should get a call from one of the Avengers saying, uh, "Yeah, we have another alien invasion in New York. Yeah. <laughs> we really need your help." You know, better get into the yeah, lab. It, yeah, that that just didn't seem right to me. I could understand. Okay, I was going crazy. I made forty armors. I didn't need to do that. I'm going to just keep these five. Right. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. But to destroy every one of them. Also, the the scene. You know, if if there was an explanation for it, I don't think they gave it enough. Uh, again, not enough exposition why he was now able to repair his heart at the end of the movie. Well, he's done that in the, in the comics, you know, for the yeah, well, but time. In, in Iron Man two, he was dealing with blood disease because he couldn't remove the shrapnel and he needed to have that power battery in his chest. I thought he if could, he was able but to it was just really, really risky and he didn't want to deal with it. You know, it was like one of those. Yeah. Because Actually, one of the scenes that was in the Chinese theaters, I was reading some of this online, like the extra four minutes or so is that there's a Chinese specialist that we only saw in America for like, you know, what, about five seconds? The guy that's doing the operation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that they had like a certain Chinese, you know, a big Chinese star over over there was that doctor that removed that. And there's a little bit of an extended cut that sh that plays out that scene, you know, maybe explaining that a little more. Yeah, I heard in, in in China the the movie has got a different name. It's called Doctor Zhao, Iron Man's Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to make a prediction for what happens at the end of the movie because I thought about this as soon as I saw this happening. When when he takes the arc reactor and chucks it into the water, somebody's going to pick that up, and somebody's going to use that in one of the next movies. That I now, can't to just chuck ahead, that thing out, out into the ocean is just too good of a, 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 I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll see the Submariners swim up and grab it. I don't know. Well, that's that's what I was going to say. That there were rumors early on that the Submariner was being considered as the villain for this movie. And 
in the scene when the house collapses into the water, I actually yeah, thought but, we might see a cameo there. Yeah, but where are you going to find Freddie Mercury? He's dead. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it would have been a great cool to, Mariner. Have, to have a little cameo that, you know, somebody who helps him to get out of that that situation. It would have been cool for the fanboys. I don't know if everybody else would have liked it. Yeah, but some, some arch-villain or somebody, Thanos or whoever, they're going to get the arc reactor and maybe build some more suits or something. I don't know. That's just my my prediction. Ultimately, I, I at was... the end of the day, as much as I really like the movie, that that is really the only serious criticism I have. I mean, you know, there's little nitpicky things here and there. Um, I just want to point out, by the way, that the Mandarin, for me personally, is not one of them. I mean, come on. It's the friggin' Mandarin. Would I have liked to have seen the guy from the comics with the power rings? And all? Yeah, that might have been cool, but probably wouldn't have worked, I'll admit. And it's not like he's a sacred cow. So what they did with him really doesn't bother I, me. I'm a big Beth but, Kingsley yeah. fan, so it, got, it, it gave Ben Kingsley a chance to play two different, you know, tones. And the moment where, you know, you realize what's going, you start figuring out what's going on was like a, a, I love those moments of total confusion where you're watching a movie and you're going, wait, what's going on here? And all the characters on screen are going, what's going on here? And it slowly starts to, you know, gel together. But it's a moment of like surrealism, you know, and it it ended with a poop joke. When he walked out of the bathroom and said, nobody go in there for at least 20 minutes, that was yeah, hysterical. Yeah, that was hysterical. And I was just like, what the hell is going You know, what the hell is going on? And then you start figuring it out. So you're right there with the characters in their confusion. And I thought that was a very well played out and re- revealed scene and, and surprisingly funny because the trailers made it look like this was going to be, you know. Yeah. The you know the Mandarin systematically taking down, sort of like that right. Daredevil storyline in the in the in the early nineties. I can't remember what it was. It was a mini series of where the Kingpin just destroys Matt Murdock's everything born in again. his life. Yes, Born Again. I thought it was going to be the Iron Man Born Again, where Tony Stark gets just like stripped down, and it sort of was in a way. But it was not the somber tone that it seemed like it was going to be. It was very lighthearted and fun. I mean, I don't think we've talked enough about the kid in it and well, how that could have sucked that. horribly. Before that we felt get a little that, flat for me. Yeah. Go I mean, ahead, I Scott. What, so what'd you too. have? I was just going to wrap up my thoughts with the, the, the thing, the one serious criticism I do have, though, the one thing that that holds the movie back from being truly great or you know at least as good as as the last one in my opinion was they rein it all back in there's not that that sense of the larger marvel universe that's you know there's no world building there's no lead to the next event any of that and i think and at least in my opinion i think that really hurt the movie because it makes it feel small scale again. And I miss that. I really liked that about, well, I've liked that about all of the Marvel films so far leading up to the Avengers, but Iron Man two in particular, that's one of the things I really love about that movie. One of the things I think is really the strength of that movie is a lot of the foundations of the next tier, meaning Avengers is laid with that movie. So I really, really went into this movie thinking, this is going to lay the groundwork for maybe not necessarily Avengers 2, 
but Guardians of the Galaxy definitely. Well, and when that didn't happen, I, I can't help but feel a sense of disappointment from that. Um, yeah, I'm with you totally. I can't remember that. who I was talking to, but you notice the movie was set at Christmas time, right? And it's the first summer movie, right? So there's a you know my my maybe it was my friend Mark and he was saying there were there was. It's, it probably wasn't Mark. It was somebody who was up more on the upcoming Marvel, you know, movies, and that they were saying that there might be a lot of stuff that we might not notice in this one, you know, like the fact that it's taking place around Christmas time, so that if something else is happening somewhere, out, you know, that this could be happening during when Thor is happening. And so there might be some crossover stuff. It isn't really world building as much as there might be references to the other movies that we won't know or things that happen that explain something in the other movies that we don't know about yet. You know what I mean? Well, that's right. So, there was some of that, like with the Hulk, when you saw the incredible Hulk, it seemed to be self-contained. And then in the other movies, they kind of make reference to it and they tie it in a little bit. Right. And so maybe there's, maybe there's a little bit of that going on. Uh, there were like three things of varying importance in the movie that, uh, I thought fell flat that, that I found disappointing that I wanted to mention. Uh, one was the kid. Uh, I thought that the, the actor and Robert Downey Jr., you know, the kid actor and Robert Downey Jr. did have good chemistry together. I just thought, you know, the fact that Tony Stark walks in and it's this kid who wants to be this, you know, he's got a lab of his own and all of this stuff. I don't know. It just seemed so convenient and it just kind of didn't work for me. That's 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 what I was thinking. Oh, this could go bad really fast. And a, and a, and a lesser movie would have played something of like, you know, Stark was looking at this kid is a sort you know the sunny net you know is a, a child and the kid is him as a father figure right off the bat he basically you know makes sure you know that, that he's not going to be this kid's father figure he he instantly deals with him on a person-to-person level and there were a lot of scenes like that where they were showing how you know he's fa- you know he's a he's you know, somewhere in, in that world, he's like a Donald Trump or something. You know, he's a larger than life, you know, millionaire b- businessman guy. And the, he has a lot of fans and people who think he's cheesy or whatever. And so they, I think they went out of the way to show how when he was meeting up with people, how he treated them. And he would, you know, he's learned to, you know, treat people nicely and as equals. And with the, with the kid, that was sort of what the kid needed. He didn't need someone to, like, take him under his wing. I liked that he was just sort of like, shut up, kid, and get me a sandwich, you know? Yeah, the yeah, kid was I there guess. for Like I said, I thought they had a good chemistry. But but I, I just the whole storyline just kind of didn't seem to make sense to me. I don't know. It just didn't... It probably uh, worked a lot better for 10-year-old kids. <laughs> it gave the, them the, something to... Maybe. The scene when he goes into the truck and there's the... Tony Stark worshiper. I I <laughs> thought that was awful. I, I just who was that, that guy? Because he's so familiar to me. That Scott actor. Gardner? Just... <laughs> no I mean, idea. Does anybody no know? Idea. No, idea. no. I didn't recognize him. I thought that and scene the... was kind of charming. Yeah, okay, so it worked for you. Yeah. Didn't work for me. Uh, the other it was, one, it was and... it was kind of creepy. That was, you know, it was just yeah, kind of like, well, that's it was creepy it too. That that guy was creepy. 
But the 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 one scene that I think was meant to be like one of their big, I think it was meant to be the their this movie's version of the Monaco scene from Iron Man Two, that you could see that they put an awful lot of special effects into it and work into it. And it must've taken them, you know, a, an incredible amount of time and money to put together. But after I saw it, I just thought, eh, was that whole barrel of monkeys scene with the people falling from air force one. Yeah. I got a uh, nitpick on that. I, I like that. About that. Didn't we? What was that? I liked it. <laughs> I mean, I liked it too, but I got a nitpick because I don't remember if you and I talked about it, Paul, that one, how could he must have, a hell of a speaker system on the armor because how can anybody hear him when they're in free fall? That's you know, he's saying, okay, we're going to do barrel of monkeys. And then he's telling them, I'm going to electrify your arm and you're going to grab the next person. Well, one of the people grabs somebody's pant leg. Uh, I don't think clothing conducts electricity <laughs> directly. Maybe he's wearing metal pants. <laughs> so kind of like, well, uh, how are you going to catch the next person? So that I mean, but rescue that sequence, though, was, I mean... The effects in that I thought were pretty phenomenal. Well, that I mean, well, that was not CGI. A lot of it because they were real it, skydivers. I saw that yeah. in the credits at the end, and I was just like, ah, that's why it looked so realistic. Mm -hmm. And and if he was able to send out the armor like that, why does he ever have to be in it? Yeah, I had that thought too. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why the scene fell flat for me. Is just like that that bothered me. Well, that was like well, a going moment when he gets all hit of by this the truck. Yeah, he goes through all the stuff in that scene, putting in incredible stresses on that armor, you would think, and then just being clipped by a truck makes it all fly to pieces. So that was a little inconsistent. <laughs> but the actual rescue portion of that, you know, from the moment the, the side of the plane blows open to the moment he dumps them in the drink, I can't, couldn't help but, but have a serious Superman Returns callback, you know, to... You know, say what you want about Superman Returns. Superman saving the plane in that movie is awesome. That's the you best know, scene I, in the I, whole yeah. movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'll agree that the rest of the movie is kind of crap. But that scene, I can watch over and over and over again all day because that's, you know, it's it's truly awesome. It's Superman and it's special effects, you know, galore. I, I kind of got the same vibe from this. I mean, who doesn't have you know, a, a, a sweaty palm fear of falling like that. And the scenes where, you know, people are reaching out for Iron Man as they're falling away from him at terminal velocity. I mean, those are like nightmare inducing images. So I, I was impressed with, you know, the cinematography and all those scenes. I, I thought it was really well done. And it was a, you know, it, it was a clever, yeah, it was, you know, bullshit comic book science with the whole electrifying their arms thing and all that. But it was still within a comic book framework. It was a pretty clever way to get around the whole thing that he couldn't save everybody, you know, yeah. as far yeah. as carrying them. But he still managed to save everybody. So I thought yeah, they still all would have died when they hit the water. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't slowing them down enough. They were going to all go Gwen Stacy on him. <laughs> Snap. <laughs> yeah, just they, they hit the water. Yeah, snap, 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 snap. <laughs> <laughs> then he just flies away. <laughs> That's now, from, the R -rated. from a filmmaking point of view, I think it was an impressive scene. From a storytelling point of view, eh. <laughs> I'll, I'll Another thing. One of the things I really liked was the little cameo of Professor Yinsen. Yes, I thought that was a cool, cool callback, and I if. 
if I remember right, Professor Yinsen in the first Iron Man movie says something about meeting him at some sort of a symposium. Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's a pretty cool callback there. What now, about the character the Happy guy in that scene? I don't know. Because there's another guy? guy. There's another guy in that scene. Yeah, the Yinsen, the... it's like talking to somebody else when he addresses yeah. Tony Stark. Was it, yeah. wait a minute? I think it was the Heart Doctor. That's at the end of the movie. Is that? I think I, I thought I heard that on another podcast. I I know I'm, I'm, I should be giving these people plugs, but I can't remember which ones I heard it on. It was it might have been on Half Hour Wasted. I'm not sure. That somebody was saying that that was that was the Chinese the heart doctor. Huh. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But hey, but we did get some world building. We we got aim, we got rocks on, which is from and you know what comics. couldn't couldn't they just have had one scene. In the extremist laboratory where you had one of the beehive head aim guys. <laughs> Just for the fanboys. You couldn't seriously, couldn't you do that? In the lab, have him have him in the you know, in the in the uh protective suit and have it have that like beehive head to it. Or that yeah, or cool. like have show Guy Pierce working on it and he takes a beehive off. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, just gonna just gonna put this this experiment away. The non geeks watching the movie wouldn't even notice it and the geeks would be saying, That's great. I love that. I was waiting for Modoc. Yeah. <laughs> I would love if they could do Modoc in a movie, but they're so hung up that everything has to be, you know, totally plausible. God, that just they don't want to do stuff like that. I think just, after just having done this whole what do they keep calling it? The prehensile armor where he could call it to him. And I think now that you've done that, which I'll be honest, that to me was the silliest part of the entire movie. I really didn't like that. Oh, oh with the dance. Uh yeah. Oh no, no! Just the the whole the you know every little bit of the armor had its own like AI and every piece of it could fly and it's I thought it was a little hokey. It was a little silly. I, I thought they were really pushing that you know real world credibility thing that they've been doing so well up to this point. That was a little bit silly. Um. So you know, I mean, if they can do that and get away with it, then. Come on, give me Modoc. I'm I'm ready for it. Nah, you know, no, I, I, no special effects needed. You just get Louis Anderson. I love I loved in uh, <laughs> when, <Mr. Stark. laughs> in in uh, the Avengers cartoon when they had Modoc and Thor's looking at him and his jaw just kind of drops and he looks at him and he says, "Tis a giant head." <laughs> I just thought that was a great scene. <laughs> I could go for Modoc. I think that could be a lot of fun. I really do. If if done right, it definitely could be. And then you could have, see, the, you know, what's the female one? Modam. Modam, yes. yeah. And then you I can mean, just get I... Roseanne Barr. <laughs> oh God, no. No, Rosie O'Donnell. That's... Oh, Rosie O'Donnell, yeah. But see, All I just email should be directing Scott Gardner. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished reading. Um, volume four of the Iron Man comics, which covered this whole, you know, from start to finish of that entire series, which runs, I don't know, it's like 34, 35 issues. The whole thing is related to the Extremis storyline and the Extremis armor and, you know, the, the augmented people and all that. And I was really curious about the, the way the whole thing played out. And I enjoyed the movie, but I kind of wish they'd gone a little bit more with that storyline because it did play out very differently in the comics as opposed to the movie. And see, I hadn't read beyond the, 
you know, there's the initial opening arc of that series is, you know, it's just called Extremis. So I thought it was just an arc, you know, and that's the one that, you know, anybody that's read that series and is familiar with the Extremis storyline, that's probably what they think of is just that opening arc. But it actually goes through that entire series. And so having now read the whole thing, I was a little bit mystified by the ways that they went in the movie with, you know, with killing off, uh, what was her name, Maria or whatever. And just the whole way that that went, it was a little bit odd. And then coupled with, you know, the the armor that was sort of kind of like the one that he had in the Extremis story, but then he himself wasn't Extremis augmented, again, was a little bit strange because it, you know, if you take the trailer just on a visual level, it made it look like that was the direction they were going, was a pretty much straight up adaptation of the comics story, but it's really not. It's very loosely based on any of it, and the stories go in two completely different directions. I don't know, have you guys read any of that stuff? You know what I'm talking about? I've read, like, the o the o o opening of that arc, and mm -hmm. I know that like it, I think I said earlier that, like he can excrete the armor from inside. It's basically stored in his body and he excretes it from his body, and, it, and then it right. surrounds him in a shell, so he doesn't need yeah. to carry the armor anymore. Yeah, yummy. I wonder, he's, I wonder he's like if a he Cadbury has a condom egg. version of that for those one night stands out out on the town. Iron condom. Hang on just a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got this. No glove, no love. <laughs> no power glove, no love. <laughs> Whoa, I got the repulsor set to the wrong spot. Sorry, <laughs> honey. Ow! Oh, I think we've exhausted this review. <laughs> Are we ready for know. our... Once we start excreting armor. <laughs> it's yeah, time to we start talking topic. about Little Iron Man, it's time to yeah. go. <laughs> Little Tony. To Little, little Tony. Tony takes the stage. It's time to go. <laughs> you want to go to the Freaky Five? Yeah. Mm. What's so our, our Freaky Five about this month? Our Freaky Five this time is simply Iron Man, and it was up to everybody to personally interpret what that meant for them. So I'm very curious to see what everybody brought to the table. Who wants to go first? I can go, go first. first. Oh, okay. Oh, you want to go? No, <laughs> Bill, I will step aside. No, 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 Paul. And, you and still, I will have I I, now I, I don't know if I can go now. <laughs> Are you that's, having that's performance actually, you know, issues? That is my ringtone on my phone right now. <laughs> that you have performance issues? No, not that. <laughs> no, Dr. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got a book. I can help you with that. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard. <laughs> you hit it with the book. <laughs> Get it to <laughs> it's got dirty pictures in the middle of it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to go then. <laughs> the heck with you. So I'm, I'm going to start off with honorable mention for two of the silliest things with Iron Man that I just get a kick out of. Is uh, One is the whole teenage Tony Stark thing, which I just thought was so ridiculous as to be amusing. If you guys recall that. 
Yeah, that's, that's actually crossing. where I'm at in my read through of volume one. So I haven't actually made it to that. Yeah, I know it happens, but I've never read like why it happens and, and how wow, it resolves. Well, so it's, I'm very it's, a detailed, it's a detailed thing because it crosses with the Avengers and War Machine and everything to go into that storyline. Uh, right. The whole Avengers, the crossing uh, brings you to that. And it was really a, just a, a bad story that they went with. And uh, it's just so silly that it, that for some I reason got, I get out of it. I, I got awesome. one word. Amortis. <laughs> yes. I, I, can't, I can't wait you, to read it now. <laughs> yeah, you can start getting a headache now. My, my, other, my other silly thing that I get a kick out of is now when I first started reading Iron Man back in the 70s, he had that silly nose. <laughs> which I just find to be really amusing. And did you uh, did you catch the part in Marvel the Untold Story about that? Yes. They, they basically say Stanley uh, looked at him and said, "Well, you know, if the, if it's flat in the front, isn't his nose pushing up against it? You got to give him a little nose thing there." So they they started drawing it in. You know, Stan said we got to do this, and they all they started drawing it in all this, the issues. And then like months later, Stan looked at him and says, "What the hell are you doing here? This looks so silly. This is ridiculous. Get rid of that nose." <laughs> <laughs> it was it was the start of senile Stan. Haven't we all had a boss like that? At I some think he was like just messing with him. That just sounds like he was just having fun. Well, basically, the way they tell it is, you know, he he was getting so involved with uh, trying to get Hollywood properties and projects going that he really wasn't involved in the everyday affairs that were going on, other than to write his Stan soapbox every month. And uh, you know, he he wasn't paying attention, and he would just kind of give these off the cuff remarks. And, and they were taken, you know, dead seriously. <laughs> but now to get to my real top five. I'm, I got, basically, I didn't go too far afield. I have four uh, storylines and one other thing. So what my number topic? five, it's just Iron Man. <laughs> oh, okay. My, my, my t number five is the Doom Quest story from issues yes. number 149 and 150, which we did cover partially in Back to the Bins in uh, Bill's uh, so first appearance with us. My Shanghai. <laughs> and uh, that's that's by David Michelini and Bob Layton and John Romita Jr. And it's just a really cool story where they go back to the time of King Arthur. And just, just one of the best. Uh, number four is the Armor Wars storyline from issues 225 to issue 232. And in fact, we just did number 232 in our Iron Man special. Where basically uh, Tony's Iron Man technology is being co-opted and... Uh, all, all the mechanical-based villains in the Marvel Universe and some of the mechanical-based heroes are all using his technology, and uh, he has to go and basically stop that from going on. And it was a pretty cool storyline. Next one, not quite as well-known. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this one. It's called The Mask in the Iron Man. It's from Volume 3 of uh, Iron Man, numbers 26 through 30, from 2001. Uh, it's written by Joe Casada, and basically Iron Man's armor becomes sentient on its own. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And kidnaps Tony and takes him to an island. And, <laughs> yeah, and he drops just, him just, on the island. Yeah, basically it was a pretty cool story, and then ultimately Tony starts to have a heart attack, and the armor, the sentient armor gives him its power supply to keep him alive and dies itself. And then uh, Tony ends up burying the armor on the beach with a uh, grave marker that says Iron Man Avenger. I just thought it was a cool, really cool story. It was good. Uh, the number two on my list is 
probably my definitive Iron Man story is the Demon in a Bottle storyline from issues 120 to 128 of the original series in 1979. Uh, also, Michelini, Leighton, and Romita Jr. Uh, basically, it's where Tony's drinking comes to a head and starts costing him. And at the same time, I think it's Stain. It's been a long time since I read these. I think it's Stain basically takes control of his armor while he's drunk and has it shoot a repulsor ray through the back of a UN diplomat. Yeah. And, you know, basically frames Iron Man for the murder. And uh, it's, it's pretty much, I think, almost universally considered the definitive Iron Man storyline. So I'll go yeah. with that. And my number one Iron Man is the first Iron Man movie. I think, I, I won't go as far as to say it's a perfect movie, but I would say it is a perfect action movie. It's one of these ones where it's on TV, it doesn't matter what part it's on, I can sit down, watch it, and I can watch it over and over again. It's so well done. Uh, the humor is there, the action is there, the storyline holds up. Everything about it, I think, is excellent. Uh, and for that reason, other than The Avengers... That's my favorite Marvel Universe movie. And that's my Freaky Five. I think I... All right, I'll go ahead with my uh, my Freaky Five. And I did the... I picked my top five alternate Iron Mans. And what I mean by that is, uh, other than normal Tony Stark Earth 616. So for number five, I have uh, Hal Stark, which is from Earth 9602 which is the Iron Lantern, and that was when uh, Marvel and DC had the amalgam line where they combined heroes, and that was a combination of Green Lantern and Iron Man. And uh, some of his foes were Dr. Whiplash, Hector, with, you know, H.E.C.T.O., dot 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 <laughs> you know, <laughs> Madam Sapphire, uh, the Green Guardsman, um, trying to, and Mand... Oh, Let's see if I can say that. His arch nemesis was Mandarinestro. <laughs> so uh, that that came out in like 1997, uh, Iron Lantern number one, if anybody wants to pick that up. Number four is uh, Anthony Stark of Earth 311, and he is from the um, the 1602 timeline, which I believe was done by Neil, Ga Neil, Neil Gaiman. Um, I don't know if everybody's read that yet or not. Um, and he was, um, he had created his armor out of, uh, lightning bottles and such. And, uh, um, was actually sent to the new world to track down, uh, David Banner. Um, and I would highly recommend to pick that up, uh, that he's actually in, I think this, he's actually introduced, I think in the miniseries. Marvel 1602 New World number two that I got right here in October 2005. Number three is um, the Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> and um, this is a character from Earth 2301. The Iron Maiden is that's the Marvel Mangaverse. And this was the, um, the uh, sister of Tony Stark, Antoinette. Stark. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> one of the highlights I thought here is that uh, she was she was given the nickname of the Iron Bitch by the Wasp. 
<laughs> because she she like bumped into her. So uh, uh, yes, her the the are Iron you going to mention the- Iron Pan, which was in the universe <laughs> where he was just a skillet? <laughs> no, was he Teflon? <laughs> Teflon man. But uh, you know uh, that does remind me of a story. Oh, and now it's time for Real Life with Dr. Bill Robinson. So anyway, back when I was in high school, in my uh, senior class, English class, Miss Pigman was, uh, yes, that was her real name, Miss Pigman was our instructor. And we were doing Samuel Taylor Coleridge's uh, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And my buddy David Bell said to the teacher, hey, uh, you know, there's a rock group that has a version of that song. And, uh, well, why don't you guys bring it in? Why, yes, we will. So the next day, we brought in a stereo, and we put in a uh, tape of uh, Power Slave by Iron Maiden and played uh, all 13 minutes worth of Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. <laughs> Teachers from other classes were walking over. What's going on in here? So, And that's, uh, and that's real life with Dr. Bill Robinson. Now back to our Freaky Five. And Scott Gardner will like this Freaky Five. Iron Mouse. Anybody heard of Iron Mouse? Iron Mouse I, is from... I've never the, heard of Iron Mouse. Iron Mouse comes from the Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham universe. <laughs> oh, is I should... I, I probably... I have read Iron Mouse now that you mention it, actually, because I'm a big Peter Porker fan. He was first introduced in Peter Porker number three. And he was, uh, um, and I'll see if I can send you a link here. You guys, of course, nobody at nobody at home can see this, but you can. Because you're aware work. that Peter Porker is not porn, right? <laughs> Maybe not to you. <laughs> and his <laughs> his actual second armor was a take on the uh, Scarlet Centurion armor. Um, which I don't know if it's the Scarlet Mousterian. I don't know if they named it that. They just called it Armor Mark II. But, but yes, Iron Mouse, there you go. So that's the whole Disney Iron Man Marvel thing from back from 1985, and it, none of this was even thought of. And my final Tony Stark is the Tony Stark of Earth 61828, and that is uh, from Volume 1 of One If, number 34, which is, what if Iron Man had an eating problem instead of a drinking problem? <laughs> I remember that. He couldn't get I have that one too. <laughs> His gut sticking out of the armor. Millionaire playboy Tony Stark was a man under pressure. Oh no, I lost a fortune. Back bacon futures are down 20 points. Almost unconsciously, he began to seek relief in the satisfying fulfillment of food. Grants, no thanks. I'll just nibble. Oh, waiter, I'll have a cow, please. Medium rare. And a tab. And then, of course, we see him fight, fighting the unicorn, and he's trying to wedge himself into his pants with an, a, uh, uh, a a crowbar. And then he's trying to take off in his armor, and he's got it's all stitched together on the seams, and he can't get off the ground more than two inches. And then in the last scene, he's looking in the mirror, very reminiscent of Demon in a Bottle, and it says, It soon became obvious to all who knew him that Tony Stark was a man with a Twinkie on his back. Burp. And that's God, my freaky five. That. <laughs> that's all I got. I can't believe you didn't mention uh, Iron Man 2020. I always thought he was pretty cool. Well, yeah. Arno, well, Arno Stark. Arno, Arno Stark. Stark, yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I, I wanted to go for some, some different ones that maybe some people hadn't heard of. That's cool. Who's next? You want me to go next? Are you go ahead, next? man. Mine is all based on the uh, the three Iron Man movies because that's what I'm, I'm familiar with. So. That's where that's what all eyes got to work with. Um, number five is they were three different, three, totally not totally, but three different movies where they had a different feel. Yet they still had the same sort of general atmosphere to them, and which I thought usually doesn't happen. Usually, after the first movie, the tone just gets more exaggerated and and changes. And this this one kept a, a nice tone through it. Um, number four, even though um, Iron Man 2 is trashed by the fans, it's still ten times better than most superhero films that you're ever going to see. So quit your bitching. <laughs> and number three, the special effects aren't really the, the focus of the movie. They're not the, it's the characters and the interplay between the characters that really form the heart of the movie. Which... You know, with that and the Avengers, I think that's an important lesson to learn these days. Yes. Did that sound sufficiently stern? <laughs> um, number two, uh, Iron Man 1. The beginning of Iron Man 1 sort of st did something that superhero movies usually didn't do. It wasted no time starting the story and the origin at all. It was like right in the first scene, it gets going, it gets you moving, and you don't have that feeling of like, okay, I'll sit through the origin until the story starts, you know what I mean? Right. It just, it, it, it weaved the, the origin right into the story, and it, it, it just worked out great. <clears throat> and number one is Robert Downey Jr., who I rank second only to Christopher Reeve as someone who just so thoroughly climbed into their superhero character that they they sort of defined the role and you could make a crappy iron man movie with a crappy director and a crappy script and if if robert downey jr was there there would be something to to pull from it so that's that's my top five it was a simple top five <laughs> very good <laughs> thank you well, mine, I went predictable. I went my top five favorite Iron Man armors. Ooh. So starting with number five. Now, I got some of the uh, the quote-unquote official names from for these armors from the, uh, the Marvel wiki page. So I don't know where exactly they got these designations, but this is what they say that they were called. So number five, it, they called it the Mark III armor. This was the one um, that first debuted in Tales of Suspense number 48. This was what you would, what I always referred to as the horned um, faceplate Iron Man. You know, it was a red and gold armor, but the, the faceplate almost looked like it had like, almost like Batman horns on the front of it, you know, like Batman mm -hmm. points on the front of it. And it had a very riveted oh, look. Yeah. So he looked like the man in the iron mask kind of thing. Kind of, sort of, almost what we consider like the traditional, like the classic Iron Man, but not quite, just because he had almost a, a robotic feel with that particular helmet. But I really like the look of that one because it has a little more edge to it. It's a little 
darker, if you will, a little scarier, and I like that edge to it. Number four is the stealth armor, but the Mark II version, which I think first debuted in Iron Man number 229. I don't know that it was ever used very much. It's essentially the same stealth armor that... Uh, that is on the cover of one of the issues of the original Michelini Layton run. I can't remember exactly the issue, but it's an all black Iron Man armor, except that the Mark II had the shoulder pads like the Silver Centurion armor. So it was a little bit cooler looking and uh, just really neat. You know, an all black stealth mode Iron Man armor. It's just a really cool concept to me. I really like that a lot. That's the ones with the red and the uh, with the red eye slits and the and the yes. mouth red, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, number three, I really like this one a lot. Although you know, I can clearly see why it was not used very much and why it's kind of a, a, a little known armor. But I just always loved the look of this one, and I don't know the exact designation, but I'll just call it the undersea armor. This is the one that mm -hmm. he wore in uh, Iron Man number 218. He's actually on the cover wearing this one. Essentially, it's just a diving suit, but he's wearing his Iron Man suit, whatever one he was wearing at the time. You know, so he's wearing that inside the undersea armor. So essentially, it's it's a giant kind of clunky gold diving suit with a clear helmet over it and then he's got his regular Iron Man suit on inside of it. I Don't ask me why but there's something about the way Leighton draws that that just looks freaking awesome and uh, not long ago when I was over at uh, Universal Studios over in their gift, one of their gift shops, they had uh, a statue of this a uh, like a, I don't know what you call it, a mock-at or whatever, it's a couple hundred dollars but that thing was just gorgeous. I saw that and was like, oh, I forgot about that armor. It's really, really cool looking. Well, um, you know, you got I got to interrupt you on that because there's something about the way Leighton draws every armor that's awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> he's, he's just great on it. But I, I think that particular armor, like the way he has like the light glinting off of it, the way he did the bubbles around it when he was underwater, uh, even the way he drew it as Tony got into it. It was yeah. just, you know, like like everything about it was just cool. Well, what's neat is that the armor itself is almost like a mini sub. It's basically it's a man shaped mini sub, like something that you would see like Bob Ballard go, you know, on a on an expedition with or something, because it had its own like halogen lights that came off of it and everything. So just like a real sub, you know, will have its you know has to bring its own light system with it. Whoever designed that, and I imagine it was probably Leighton, thought of that. And so this particular Iron Man suit had its own lights. And I, that's just a really cool concept. But you're right. The way he drew that really gave you that sense of undersea exploration with this particular Iron Man suit. And it was really, really cool. And with the wrong Cousteau. artist, it would have looked very cheesy. Very Tony, much so, yeah. Tony Cousteau in the Calypso. <laughs> Um, number two, um, this one is the classic 70s armor. Um, according to what I looked up, they call this the Mark V. This is the one that debuted in Iron Man number 85, and he pretty much wore this one straight on to uh, right around issue 200. It, this one lasted probably the longest and still comes back from time to time. In, uh, in Iron Man volume four, 
that I was just talking about, you know, during the extremist storyline, um, Tony actually reverted to this costume for, a, or, you know, this armor for a while because it was a, a version that he couldn't be tracked in. And I thought that was really cool. But, uh, I mean, if you really want to see the one I'm talking about, look at the cover of Iron Man 126 by Bob Layton. It's a classic, iconic image you've probably seen on T-shirts recently. It's just gorgeous. But now, just that particular great, armor. Great. Oh, sorry. That particular no, armor, that's the one that basically replaced the nose armor. Yes. Mm-hmm. He had the nose armor, and then he got rid of it and put this one on. And it, it is probably the most iconic Iron Man armor. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I would venture a guess that whenever you think of Iron Man, you more than likely think this particular uh, uh, armor. And, of course, number one, no big surprise here for me, uh, the Silver Centurion. I love this one. I can understand why other people don't like it. Um, I was heartbroken uh, heartbroken to learn recently that Leighton himself can't stand this particular one. I love it. I, I There's something really neat. I think the biggest reason is just it's so different from all of the other ones. And, uh, and I really dig this one. But, of course, it has to be drawn by the right artist because... Most artists that aren't Bob Layton drew it to look a little clunky. A lot of times the uh, the cod piece looked like a big like armor depends diaper or something. It, it, it's a little funny. But uh, I really, really like when it's drawn properly and sleek and slim down. Uh, I, I can see exactly what they were going for. And I really dig it. Plus, this may have been. Um, up to this point, the most sophisticated armor that Tony ever devised, because it had a lot of uh, powers and functions that he never had before. And in some instances, I don't think he ever had again. It had, you know, holographic systems and stealth and it could be invisible and it had all kinds of different weapons and stuff. So a but very advanced armor. And I really like this one. Well, wasn't it the first one he used to go um, intercontinental like he went up? Like, I think so. To cross the United States, he went up into orbit and then came back down with it. Yeah, like, I know was... he does that trick in uh, in the issue where it debuted, which was Iron Man 200. He uses that trick of basically. Uh, I know Byrne would steal this trick and use it in the in the post crisis Superman, where essentially he would go up and use the rotation of the Earth to his advantage, to where he could cross the country in a matter of minutes, which yeah, I, I think they actually do that in real life with missiles and stuff, don't they? Yeah. So I always yeah. thought that was a, a really cool idea that they use some real science for a change. But, uh, now, but that's I my, don't, uh, I'm sorry? I don't, I don't recall seeing that one. I was looking for that one in the movie, and I, I didn't spot it if it was there. Did you see it in Iron Man 3? The silver, the silver and red one. Yeah, it, it was one of the ones that was on display behind him when. Really? Uh, yeah. Silver... Uh huh. Yeah, it gets blown oh. up because he, it essentially got destroyed in Iron Man two because it's the one that he wore in Monaco briefly. It was the suit. Oh, it was the okay. Yeah, that's that right. He, but it gets destroyed. But yeah, then but it looks a little different than than yeah. than you know. It doesn't have the shoulder pads, I guess. So that's where. Yeah. Oh, okay. Hmm. Which makes it my also my favorite movie version as well because it's streamlined it's it's right. very like you know like uh i'm trying to think of the word i want to use but you know just Svelte. bare bones you know yeah yeah very much so and i like that i mean that 
particular armor up sequence in Iron Man 2 when he puts that one on and it all links up on him. That's my favorite armor up sequence of all three movies. I just love that. I think it's really, really cool. The music kicks up and it's just a really good scene. The only thing about that scene, because we already talked about it, that just kind of leaves me a little cold is when Happy and Pepper come over and they slam the car into Mickey Rourke. Uh-huh. And he's basically just wearing an exoskeleton. And, and he collapses on top of the car. How are his legs not crushed? He's wearing an exoskeleton. No, but it's not covering his whole body. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like... it's. It, it might it give just... him some strength, but it's not going to keep anything from crushing him. Yeah, like, like just that's the one thing, like, I just... Cause he's he just even, a you know, super he... badass, that's all. Yeah, he's a plot. Yeah, yeah. The plot he, he required it. <laughs> he's got really strong thighs. He does Pilates. He, he's standing in a. He's standing in a recess. Like that's the only thing. Because because even when they hit You're him, it kind of shuts recess. down. <laughs> so then, how does he come back? You know, it's like. But I, but I can totally turn that off because it's such a great sequence. The, everything else about it is just awesome. The, when when he's walking up and and you know just snapping the whips as he's walking, and and the uh, the the orange jumpsuit is burning off of him, mm-hmm. and then when he. he, he Flicks the whips and he cuts the car in half. I mean, there's just so many great things. And then the whole armor up sequence is the highlight of it. I love that. I love it. But that's all I got. Are we ready to dive into what that means? Yes. Get Chris to read a goddamn superhero comic. 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 Well, we got a we got a good one this month. So this month on Get Chris to Read a Goddamn Superhero Comic, I am reading Iron Man 200. It starts out with Tony Stark at the hospital after an attack by Obi Finoki Stane has killed his friend and made the dead guy's sister mad at him. Tony feels bad but is afraid that if he stays Iron Man, He will want to hit the old drinky drinky, but he is so pissed at Obi-Wan Stone that he puts, uh, Obi-Wan Stain, pardon me, I keep getting his name wrong, that he puts on new armor to beat him up. I am confused because Obama Daya Stain doesn't look like old Flynn from Tron, but like Lex Luthor, (laughs) the bald one, not Gene Hackman. I think he hypnotized Tony Stark's old girlfriend or something into loving him, and he is having a mad professor experimenting on people. He has a bunch of Tony's old buddies kidnapped and a super bad guy Iron Man suit. He has eaten his bad guy Wheaties this morning. Tony bursts in to beat him up, but Omani Padme Stain sends missiles a remote control helicopter and chessmen to fight Iron Man. When these do not work, he puts his Iron Man beaten suit on and goes to town on Tony. He shoots him into a building which starts a chain reaction. After Obadabadoo Stain throws some <laughs> stuff at Iron Man, the building blows up and Iron Man finds Obi Darling's underground hideout and goes after him. He gets trapped in a room full of his friends in a suspended, in, and they are in suspended animation. 
and Obadibla Da Stain tells him that they're playing red light, green light, and it's red light forever. Because if Iron Man moves, his friends will get electrocuted. So he has to sit there until he starves to death. This is stupid because I will bet that Iron Man would drown in his own poop and pee first. Just saying. But he doesn't have to worry about it because it but he doesn't have to worry about if he wore his depends because he just blasts out the electricity to his friends he goes after stain but just in case we didn't know he was an asshole he threatens to mush a baby if iron man doesn't take his mask off iron man has a trick up his sleeve he shoots the computer on the ground that controls olatunji stain's armor and he goes limp like the robots in The Phantom Menace. A beaten Okifinoki stone isn't going to give Tony the satisfaction of arresting him, so he vaporizes his own head, just like his old man. The end. <laughs> as, we, as we close the book on Iron Man 200... Oh, that's what you were doing? I, I thought you were dropping the microphone like a, like a rapper. <laughs> dropping the mic and walking away. Dropped the mic. No bloody blood stain. <laughs> I don't have any comment now. I can't talk. <laughs> I really like this comic. It reminded me of old '60s Marvel comics mixed with modern Mar- Marvel comics. It had mm-hmm. some modern storyline stuffs in it, but a lot of it was just sort of goofy exposition while fighting, and it was fun. Cool. I'm glad you liked it. I, I was a little bit nervous because. I hadn't read this in a long, long time. It's got and... that over. It's got that early Marvel feel to it, but it, it's got a little of the over dramaticness to it. But it's just fun. Mm-hmm. I hadn't read it in a while. I read it today and prepped for doing this show, and I was like, "Oh my god, I, uh, I forgot what, what a lot this, of stuff." This came out eighty-five. 80s? I want to say okay. 80, yeah, eighty-five. Yeah. I'm so. not crazy about the art early in the book. Like up until the point where Tony puts on his own armor. From that point forward, I like it. Mm-hmm. But early on, I don't know, it just seems a little dark and the lines, I don't know, they, they just don't seem, It's the, uh, I don't like the need... detail work. Uh, I mean, it wasn't terrible, don't get me wrong, but it just, it seems a little inconsistent that the, like the first, whatever it is, six or seven pages, are okay and then after that it seems very good to me see the inkers here are credited as aiken and garvey i don't know i don't remember who they are but see (laughs) i like uh i like mark bright but if memory serves i think he was a newcomer just kind of gaining his feet at this time and when um when leighton returned he really shored up the art a lot on this title and together um bright and uh and Layton really did some fantastic art together but it's not quite there yet so i i agree with you and uh while i really like you know there's a splash page for both when tony is fully armored up with his new armor and then there's a, a full page splash when Obadiah 
uh, armors up as the Ironmonger. I like both of those pages, but I like the Ironmonger one a lot more because it looks very um, Leighton-like, whereas the one for Tony, it looks good, but again, it, he's a little too fat. I mean, it's it, it, blocky, it really... Yeah. Yeah, it, it really, that's the only way I can describe it is he looks too chunky, like he's actually fat. And that's the problem with this particular armor is I, I love the design, but you've got to keep it the streamlined one or it does look a little silly. And in this particular instance, unfortunately, on this page anyway, it does, it, it does have that kind of bullet head, just a little bit too big and blocky look. But well, then maybe some there's... of the other pages look really good. Like page 10, where he's doing the orbital thing, looks really fantastic. That second panel there, it's perfect. He's nice and slim, and I like that. It looks, the, it looks the, really good. Uh... I'm oh, sorry. No, go well, ahead. The, the, the Iron Monger armor looks formidable and threatening, which mm -hmm. I really like. And what he did on that one, which is latent-like, is the background. You know, the, the equipment in the background is all... You know, I, none of it appears to have any specific purpose to it, but it all looks like it's very detailed, just the same. And mm -hmm. I think that that adds to it. But it's it's colored in a way that just the Iron Monger stands out. I wonder if there's some latent in there because if I'm not mistaken, despite not having any credit to him or anything in this book, I think he did have a hand in designing. Um, the Silver Centurion armor, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm wondering if he had any hand in designing the Iron Monger as well, but I, I honestly do not know. But I do love that splash page on number 24. That's uh, that's really awesome. Well, yeah, maybe the too. maybe the fat Tony Stark was the one from Earth 61828. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember this because this was the first time in a comic book I had seen someone commit suicide. Right. You know that, and uh, that was that was pretty powerful when I got to that page. Whoa, okay. That was a big deal at the time. Mm -hmm. that, that was one of those, you know, those uh, moments of comics. You know, those historical moments of comics. Right up there, were like when Captain Marvel died of cancer and things like that. It was one of those things that everybody talked about. That oh my god, you know, he he blew his own head off in this. That was adult stuff. But, you know, by this point, Iron Man had kind of established himself as being a little bit more, I don't want to say a little bit more adult, but a little different from your average run-of-the-mill Marvel like, comic in that he had already dealt with alcoholism and things right. like that. It so, seemed to yeah. me, Iron Man always seemed to me like a superhero comic with a good dose of, like, Dallas added to it or a soap yeah. opera. You know, it was like yeah. business dealings and grappling with your inner alcohol de demons it was grown-up stuff really he was yeah and it's funny because this tony stark is i'm i'm used to the movie tony stark this tony stark's kind of a pisshead he's like not he's not a happy guy he's not a he's not a wisecracking you know confident no. he, guy he never really was until no. until the movies that's yeah. that's a new persona for him yeah yeah i mean he always he when as I I had an uncle who sort of looked like him who was who was actually an alcoholic and a really um, <laughs> unpleasant guy, so maybe I associated him with that. But I always associated him with just sort of a grumpy adult, you know. When I was a kid, when I would read Iron Man comics, and it was like the action sequences were really interesting to me. But the rest of it seemed 
like it was written for for adults or older kids you know it had the the intrigues were like who's taking over the business you know somebody's you know been scheming to take over the company and but before the the movie when they tried to make tony a likable character it was more that he was likable in a sophisticated you know james bond kind of way right yeah he he wasn't you know the quick-witted uh you know wise right. guy right well in the movies it's almost like they added a little spider-man to it you know where yes. a wisecracker and a, you know and well i think they added a lot of robert downey jr's <laughs> is, is the big thing that that happened yeah. with that because this era of Iron Man, or Tony Stark, rather, I always looked at a lot like, uh, you know, essentially what if, uh, you know, the Engelhart Rogers Batman lived in the Marvel Universe and wasn't Batman, but instead like a technological genius that created an armor for it. It's, it's essentially kind of that character. You know well, what I mean? I, I think it's totally plausible that an asshole could be a superhero. Oh yeah, uh, that you could have a suit, and that that it would still be something. Well, obviously, Iron Man survived all this time, so it's it's something that you know you could still follow that character and even sympathize with him for a while, but you wouldn't want to hang out with him or right know, over to Thanksgiving. You know, despite how much I love the character of Booster Gold, you know, I, I think he took a lot of the credit as being like this big, you know, first original character with the whole. You know, I'll do this superhero thing, but you know, I'm gonna get something out of it, kind of thing. Yeah. I think sometimes people forget that Iron Man was doing this decades before Booster Gold came along. You know, to get himself on billboards and stuff. You know, in a lot of ways, this, you know, this version of Iron Man or this version of Tony Stark, he's not entirely altruistic. I mean, yeah, he's out there saving lives and doing the right thing, but at the end of the day, I always got the 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 real impression that a lot of the reason he did this is it was kicks you know it was like let's see what new invention i can come up with to wear and go out and yeah, have a kind of like a howard hughes sort of yeah very feel. much so i like that i like that a lot about him i didn't when i was a kid right because when i was a kid i was much more you know, my my heroes when i was a kid had to be pure they had to be you know superman was my was my role model for what i wanted my heroes to be like and if they weren't entirely altruistic doing the right thing because it was the right thing to do then i wasn't really into them and it wasn't until i got older that i really got into iron man which again played into that's how i viewed him as a kid i i've always viewed iron man as more of an older kid's book like like the teenagers would be yeah. reading iron man and i was reading superman kind of thing well, when well, i was Tony's researching for the i was researching for the alternate iron man's one of the things one of the little snippets that popped up was that the look of Iron Man was based off of Howard Hughes mm -hmm. yes. at the time yes, when, when he was created. But you know, Tony Stark is supposed to make you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. Right. <laughs> so, he wasn't right. supposed to be a wise-cracking funny guy, because the song tells us that. <laughs> <laughs> the song never lies. Well, Not I was the Marvel superhero songs. I was noticing in that uh, that volume four Iron Man that I was just talking about, you know, with the extremists and all, that even as late as that, where the Iron Man movie was being touted on the cover, you know, in a banner on the cover of some of the very last issues of that series before it was canceled to make way for volume five, that uh, Tony was still being drawn 
using um, Timothy, damn, what's his name? Timothy, Timothy Dalton's Dalton. likeness. Yeah, who I I still to this day think would have made a really good Tony Stark. It would have been interesting to hear Timothy Dalton doing an American accent. <laughs> well, you if could just watch. You to. could just watch the Rocketeer. Yeah, I think, I think a, a, a young Timothy Dalton, you know, in his 30s would be great as Tony Stark. Yeah. Very, well, very, that, very different from Robert Downey Jr. Well, now yeah. now they're using, aren't, aren't they using the likeness of uh, Josh Holloway from Lost? The guy they who were. Played Sawyer? I don't know if they're still doing it. Okay. Oh, really? They definitely were for a while. There was know, at with, one point that they, yeah, that they were using him with, 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 with black hair, obviously. Huh. I, I can't stand when they make it so obvious, you know, like when they were doing uh, Tommy Lee Jones as Norman Osborn. As Norman Osborn, yeah, that was weird. Oh, good lord, really? They're just trying oh, to yeah. cast a movie. It's, but it's 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 just you know then then use Will, Willem Dafoe if you're gonna do that, you know. But yeah, I don't I don't like when they make it so obvious that they're using real people. Like, I think they're not using like the people that are in every movie, like Jack Black or. Adam Sandler. <laughs> well, you want to throw them in as like a kind of a joke cameo in the background or something. Yeah, yeah. Point, but, right. but don't make that your main character. Jack Black think... could play the fat Iron Man from Earth 61828. <laughs> <laughs> he would be the yeah. fat short Iron Man because I think he's only like 5'4". <laughs> ever since, uh, ever since um, Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury and... In the Ultimates, I think they've kind of fell in love with that concept of casting a movie, like Chris says. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, 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 I let it pass that time, but now it has gotten really old to where they've got to, you know, actually cast people in the comics. And I don't, I don't like that idea. I call it hump, and once again, I call it humping. Yeah, you get a good thing, and then you just start grinding it into the ground. Yeah, because yep. back in Civil War, didn't they use everybody that was in Spider Man? Didn't they use to Toby McGuire and um, the guy that played uh, J. Jonah Jameson? Then I believe they well, used their, especially in the one where he reveals his identity. I, that was Toby McGuire right there, straight out of the see, movie. I have no problem with them using the guy who played J. Jonah Jameson because he looked like J. Jonah Jameson. He was in the great. Comics. Right. He was great. And it but was Toby like. Toby McGuire looks nothing like the comic book model of Spider Man. Of Peter right. Parker, rather. So I don't want them using Tobey Maguire. And I don't want them using whatever this Andrew kid now Garfield. is in the new movie. Yeah, because they don't look like the model. You know, it's fine to cast them in the movie because you think they could play the part, but they still don't look like the comic book model. And don't don't change it for that because a few years are going to go by and he's not going to be hmm. Peter Parker anymore. Well, as soon as you take the search to find the guy who looks just like the comic book Peter Parker, you're going to get him into the screen test and he's, you know... Not going to be able to act his way out of a paper bag, you know, and then you have to start all over again. So, yeah. speaking of Peter it, Park, go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Paul. Go ahead. I was going to say, but you know, you 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 don't have to draw the comic based on that, though. I hate when they change the comics too much to go with the other media. Right. You know, it it, it just bothers me. I I don't know. It, it's, it, it, I, you know, the com the comics are the source material, not the other way around. They wanted the Parker, money. You two, Gardner, Honeywell. Yeah. Did you guys get get my message about how I almost killed myself trying to shave the other night? <laughs> listening, hey, listening Phil, to you two. It's it's it can't be that bad, man. <laughs> I'm listening to you two because you're talking. 
the thing with Parker reminded me because you're talking about the voices for the uh, for the Christmas commentary for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and how how the voices were the guys from the '60s from the '60s Spider-Man Spider-Man cartoon and you're talking about Herbie and Rudolph and Fireball and ooh, Fireball's got a little something for Clarice and I'm trying to shave. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaving. I cut my face. Oh man! Yeah, no, again, no, no shaving, no heavy machinery while listening to Two True Freaks. Because I, because I told you that my wife walks in. I've got blood down one side of my face, and I've got shaving cream on the other, and I'm beat red, doubled over with laughter. What the hell's wrong with you? What's wrong? <laughs> we may have to add I'm long fine. suffering onto your wife's title as well as Scott's. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just start laughing for no reason. And then she looks and goes, oh, he's got his earphone in. Okay. (laughs) This is funny. Listen to this. Oh, do I have to? No (laughs) headphones. You can only listen to like Yanni music or something when you have your, when you're shaving. (laughs) Something relaxing. No John Tesh. Yeah, no, some John Tesh instrumentals or something. Make him fall asleep and slit his own throat. That's that's wonderful. Some Zamfir, Master of the Pan Flute. It's better than master the skin flute, or or boxcar Willie. You know he sold more records than Elvis or the Beatles combined. Combined, combined. you're right. What about Roger Whitaker? He sold more albums than boxcar Willie. <laughs> boxcar Willie ate Roger Whitaker in a boxcar one day. <laughs> Somewhere between here and Tuscaloosa. All right, I'm going to reel this in a little bit. What are we doing next month? Not a clue. <laughs> I have no idea either. So next month will be the Mystery Comics Monthly Monday. Well, what comes out uh, What comes out next month that we could possibly tie into if we're going to keep well, tying things Man in? Man of Steel. There's the two movies that half that most of us are split one way or the other. And I mean, there's Man Star of Steel, Trek, which me. God isn't going to see. <laughs> I'm you probably know, not going to see Man of Steel. I'm going to save my money. Maybe I'll catch it on Redbox. I, I have no desire to, to go and see it in a theater. Well, Star Trek, we have a show where that can be, except Scott won't won't be seeing that either. So, But I'm sure we'll have a show dedicated to the Star Trek movie, for better or worse, because if I see it and I end up as pissed as I am, I'm going to have to go onto a podcast and <laughs> nobody will pick on Scott for being negative ever again. Do a five-minute freak. It won't be five minutes. <laughs> I might want to do it with other people because I might want to be reined in, you know, and have somebody go just calm down. Well, I don't know what my opinion's going to be, but I am planning on seeing it. So I am planning on seeing it, it too. Uh, I'm, I'm a little annoyed that we did our Star Trek Comics Monthly Monday like a month and a half ago when we should have saved it for this. Yeah, well, oh, yeah. this would be the, 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 the brightest bulb in the chandelier, that's for sure. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf. And you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode. With your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy. And there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. 
If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2 True Freaks gets a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you get to shop as usual and help out the 2 True Freaks at the same time. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> Visit our brand new website at 2TrueFreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E. F-R-E-A-K-S Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. We were finally invited aboard one of these spacecraft which landed near Ann Arbor, Michigan on October the 24th of 1954. This is a drawing of the craft. As I was leaving the craft, the commander, Soltek, said, soon others of your people will be able to have an experience similar to this.